0: this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. The show is brought to you by Pry Pickups. What you want, what you need, what you love. Check them out at PryPickups.com. The show is also brought to you by Fleming Properties. Steve Fleming is one of my best pals, and if you're looking to buy or sell your home in Canada or the U.S., reach out to Steve at FlemingProperties.com. And lastly, don't forget to check out the Thursday Night Record Club show. On the Brent Jensen Music YouTube channel. You're gonna dig it. Alright, sad news last week. We lost, very shockingly I might add, someone who was considered to be one of the best guitar players in all of history, guitar legend Mr. Jeff Beck. It seems that Beck had contracted bacterial meningitis and died rather suddenly on Tuesday, January 10 at the age of 78. As a guitar player, Beck had a completely unique and distinct approach, a limitless imagination, and he was virtually impossible to imitate. He had a style that no one else was ever quite able to emulate, and he did things with a guitar that no one else could. To say that his death is a massive loss is an incredible understatement, and I wanted to take the opportunity to pay tribute to the legend that is Jeff Beck on this episode. Beckett initially achieved some notoriety as a member of the rock band The Yardbirds, and even though he went on to front the Jeff Beck group, he never really was able to reach the same levels of commercial success as contemporaries like Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, and Ronnie Wood. Around 1975, he evolved his style into more instrumental playing, and he focused on distinguishing himself in terms of his unique sound, and his subsequent releases spanned all kinds of styles beyond the blues to jazz fusion, electronica and heavier rock over the decades Beck recorded with so many different artists earning immense critical praise and accumulating countless accolades and awards at the same time he won seven grammy awards and was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame twice first as a member of the yardbirds in 1992 and then again in 2009 as a solo artist he was known for being a perfectionist and having an explosive temper He also had a very sharp sense of humor as well. When he was asked to provide the induction speech at Rod Stewart's entrance into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he would say this about Stewart. We have a love-hate relationship. Rod loves me, and I hate him. Jeffrey Arnold Beck was born on June 24, 1944, in the London suburb of Wallington. As a six-year-old, Beck cited Les Paul as the first electric guitar player who would get his attention, having heard Paul play How High the Moon on the radio. A few years later, Beck would learn to play on a borrowed guitar while at the same time trying to create an instrument of his own, initially by gluing cigar boxes together as the body of the guitar, with a fence post as the neck, painting lines on it to designate frets. While Beck attended the Wimbledon College of Art, he made money as a painter, as a golf course groundskeeper, and as a car paint sprayer. It was during this time that Beck's sister, Annetta, introduced him to Jimmy Page. Beck was playing guitar in bands by this point, and just before the Rolling Stones broke, Ian Stewart of the Stones got back into R&B, and he formed a band called The Night Shift. They recorded a single called Stormy Monday. He also played in the rumbles, playing covers. He played in the Trident for a brief period before becoming a session guitarist, playing on parlophone recordings. And during this time, he demonstrated an ease in playing the blues, but with a rockier, heavier approach, which allowed him to stand out among his session musician peers. He was soon recruited by hot new band, The Yardbirds, to replace Eric Clapton in March of 1965. This occurred upon the suggestion of fellow session musician Jimmy Page after he turned down the gig. Though he would only stay with the Yardbirds for just less than two years, Beck would make a significant contribution to the resulting record, Over, Under, Sideways, Down, more commonly known in the UK as Roger the Engineer, released in 1966. In May of that year, Beck recorded an instrumental with a separate group of musicians called Beck's Bolero. Jimmy Page played 12-string rhythm guitar on the track, with Keith Moon on drums, John Paul Jones on bass, and Nicky Hopkins on piano. Quite a band. The following month, Page made the decision to go ahead and join the Artbirds, first on bass, then changing over to second lead guitar. Soon after, Beck would be dismissed from the Yardbirds during their U.S. tour for his volatile and unpredictable behavior. He often just wouldn't turn up for shows. There was also a lot of tension resulting from his perfectionism and hair-trigger temper, and he was gone. After recording a number of pop singles, including Hi-Ho Silver Lining with producer Mickey Most in 1967, Beck formed the Jeff Beck Group, featuring young hotshot vocalist Rod Stewart, future Rolling Stones guitarist Ronnie Wood on bass, Nicky Hopkins on piano, and the great Ainsley Dunbar on drums. Beck relished the opportunity to match the output of his peers Jimmy Page, who had just recently formed the new Yardbirds via Led Zeppelin, and also Clapton's new post-Cream band Blind Faith. He signed with Columbia Records and released debut record Truth, in August 1968, followed by beck one year later in July 1969. Truth was well-received, peaking at number 15 on Billboard, but beck was met less favorably by critics and fans alike, and this troubled Beck. A number of further touring incidents would eventually lead to the breakup of the Jeff Beck Group in July 1969. Despite his reputation for being volatile, Jeff Beck was still a very much sought after musician. Decades later, Pink Floyd drummer Nick Mason would disclose that Pink Floyd were interested in asking him to join the band following the departure of Sid Barrett, but saying that none of the band members could muster up the courage to actually ask him. And after the death of guitarist Brian Jones, the Rolling Stones were said to be considering him. Fast forward a few years after that to 1975. After Jones's eventual replacement, Mick Taylor, left the band, Beck actually auditioned for the Stones. He eventually walked away, saying he didn't like the chaotic way in which the Stones worked together, and that, quote, Keith Richards and I would have punched each other out. And who eventually got the gig? Of course, that was Beck's old bandmate, Ronnie Wood. Still there today. In September 1969, Beck would begin a dizzying musical journey. He jammed with bassist Tim Bogert and drummer Carmine Apice, the rhythm section of Vanilla Fudge. All three musicians were stoked to do something together, but Beck had sustained a fractured skull in a car accident a few months later, prompting Bogert and Apice to go off and form a band with guitarist Jim McCarty and singer Rusty Day, called Cactus. Upon his recovery in 1970, Beck wanted to form a band with drummer Cozy Powell. They, along with Mickey Most, recorded a bunch of material at Motown Studio A, of all places, with the Funk Brothers, which was Motown's in-house band. Beck recruited a few other musicians and called the band, once again, the Jeff Beck Group. Of course, this version of the Jeff Beck Group had a much different sound from the original lineup. There was jazz, soul and R&B inflections. The record was called Rough and Ready, and it was released in October 1971. This would mark a brand new direction for Jeff Beck as a musician. This iteration of the new Jeff Beck Group recorded a second album in Memphis in July 1972, simply called Jeff Beck Group. The record had a distinct soul vibe and featured five covers of American compositions, one of those being by Stevie Wonder. Unfortunately, not long after the release of the record, Beck dissolved the band, saying that the output of the band hadn't quite measured up to expected standards. So, Beck started working next with Bogert and a piece again, who had since broken up Cactus. Additional band members came and went through that band's vocalists Kim Milford and Bobby Tench. Being two of those, when the dust finally settled, the trio of Beck, Bogert, and A Piece remained, with A Piece taking on the main vocalist role. The album Beck, Bogert, and A Piece was released in April 1973. Critics admired the technical abilities of the band, but commercially the record was mostly ignored, with the exception of its cover of Stevie Wonder's hit "Superstition." Before their second album was even completed. Beck Bogert and Apathy Broke Up in April of 1974. Somewhere around this time, Beck had joined David Bowie on stage to perform The Gene Genie and Around and Around. The show was recorded and filmed, but for some very peculiar reason, none of the released versions ever included Beck. After his ill fated audition with the Stones, Beck began to record instrumentals at AIR Studios using Beatles producer George Martin. Beck's solo 1975 album, Blow by Blow, was the result of these sessions, featuring Beck's jazz chops. The album shot up to number four in the Billboard charts. It would be the most commercially successful release of Beck's career. Funny story about the record. Beck, who was well-known for being a perfectionist and super particular when it came to precision solos, overdubbing, everything, would go back to the studio and rework his material often. Over and over again, he was relentless. A couple of months after the sessions had wrapped, George Martin got a call from Beck asking if he could do one of his solo sections over again. Martin responded, Sorry, Jeff, but the record's already in the shops. Beck consistently set the highest of bars for himself in both recording and live performance capacities. He toured the US in early 1975, and in May, while performing at the Music Hall in Cleveland, Beck got annoyed with a talk box that he used during a cover of a Beatles song he used to do. During those moments, he also broke a string. And this compelled him to throw his very valuable Yardbird's Era Fender Stratocaster off the stage, followed by the Talk Box. He finished the show playing a Les Paul guitar. No Talk Box. When the 70s were over, Beck did a number of historic appearances with his old mate, Eric Clapton, at the Amnesty International benefit shows, jamming on Crossroads. Further on up the road, and Beck's version of Stevie Wonder's cover Cause We've Ended as Lovers. Beck also participated in the All-Star Encore with Clapton, along with Phil Collins, Donovan Sting, and Bob Geldof. Beck released a new album called Flash in 1985, which featured a number of different vocalists, the most notable being former bandmate Rod Stewart. They did Curtis Mayfield's People Get Ready. It was released as a single along with a video for MTV, and it went on to be a big hit. I totally remember watching this video. Beck and Stewart would go on to do a few dates together during this period to capitalize on the success of the single, but a proper tour never did come to be. Right around this time, Beck stopped regularly using a guitar pick He discovered that he could create unique tones and sounds by using a special technique in which he used his thumb to pick the strings, his ring finger to adjust the volume knob as he did this, and his little finger to manipulate the vibrato bar of his Fender Strat. By adjusting the volume knob while playing notes with his thumb, he emulated a human singing voice and some other interesting sounds. Around this time, he also started using a wah pedal more frequently. This would lead to an album of Beck using only a finger-picking style, called Jeff Beck's Guitar Shop. Beck recorded a lesser number of albums in the 80s, having taken a four-year hiatus due to a long-standing issue with tinnitus. By the time the 90s rolled around, Beck had cranked up his creative output significantly. That's him playing the solo on John Bon Jovi's solo record, Blaze of Glory, the theme song for the movie Young Guns 2. He also played on Hans Zimmer's score for the Days of Thunder film in the same year. The following year, he played lead guitar on Roger Waters' Amused to Death record, and in 1993, he performed on Kate Bush's The Red Shoes album. Something very unusual happened to Beck when he was invited to play with Guns N' Roses during their stadium concert in Paris in 1992. Beck was rehearsing with the band in the dressing room and then he and Matt Sorum went out to do a sound check on stage. While they were running through one of the songs, Sorum hit one of the cymbals hard enough to completely deafen Beck temporarily, forcing him to sit out the show and unfortunately forfeit his appearance. That same year, the Yardbirds were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. During his portion of the acceptance speech, Beck jokingly noted that someone had told him he should be proud that night, but that he wasn't. Because he had been kicked out of the band, ending his lighthearted dig with an expletive. Seventeen years later, Beck would be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame again. This time as a solo artist. The award was presented by his old bandmate Jimmy Page. That night, Beck performed "Train Kept a Rollin'" with Page, Ronnie Wood, Joe Perry, Flea, and every member of Metallica, including Jason Newsted. In the years that would follow, Beck continued to immerse himself in projects, working with people like Herbie Hancock, Seal, Pink, Joss Stone, and Beach Boys leader Brian Wilson. More recently, collaborations with Johnny Depp and Ozzy Osbourne would result in new releases featuring his playing in 2022. The impact Jeff Beck has had on guitar playing since he arrived on the scene is absolutely immense. He's considered to be the main influence behind the use of distortion on guitar. Before Beck's emergence, guitar players mostly subscribed to those jangly, clean, bell like tones that we hear on all those 60s records by British invasion bands and everything before that. When you listen to the first two Jeff Beck Group records, Truth and Beckola, you can hear the familiar blues playing style of the time, but there's a, a grit, there's a fire, almost like a dog showing its teeth. Beck pushed British Rock forward with this experimentation, using fuzz and distortion, and he'll always be recognized for that. I don't know how many people know this, but Beck's fingers and thumbs were insured for 7 million pounds, and the character of Nigel Tufnell in the This Is Spinal Tap movie was intended to be a direct representation of Jeff Beck. I've often thought about how Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page and, to a lesser degree, Clapton and Ronnie Wood all lined up on virtually the same starting line and how their individual careers all turned out based on the races that each of them would choose to run. Sometimes I feel like it's a shame that Beck wasn't able to achieve the same level of commercial success as the others because of the way that he approached his craft given the immense levels of talent that he clearly possessed. But maybe that was his choice. Maybe he wanted it that way. Regardless, the outpouring of admiration and respect from his peers, and devotees alike, that we're seeing following his death, validates the fact that he was one of the best there ever was. And he'll always be remembered as such. This has been... No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide.